0: On a scale of 1 to 10, how sure are you that what you saw was two different bodies? 12.
1: Introducing the Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll.
2: Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, international chairman of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. I am with Mark Solomon, our international president.
0: How are you doing, Mark? Mike, I'm doing great. Glad to be back, and uh, glad our listeners are back for the podcast for another episode. Mark, I believe this is our first
2: two-part podcast.
0: Yeah, it is, and this is a, a very special one. For our listeners who maybe didn't have the chance to tune in to our last podcast, we were interviewing Kelly Gao, who is the daughter of Laura Kowal. Laura was targeted by fraudsters, and they stole over $1.5 million of her life savings. The scheme was uncovered by law enforcement and made contact with Kelly. And shortly after confronting her mother about the scheme, she disappeared. Two days later, her vehicle was found along with her body, And it is such a horrible and tragic story, but we're so fortunate that Kelly is willing to come back and continue on with the story of the fraud and also the unexplained death of her mother.
2: Kelly, thanks for coming back to the show for another podcast.
3: Mike, Mark, thank you for the opportunity, and it's great to be back to continue to share details of my mom's story with you both and our listeners.
2: You know, as we mentioned on the last podcast, on August seventh, two 2020, Kelly, you were contacted by law enforcement, and they told of the scheme that they believed your mother was involved in on that same day you confronted your mother over the phone and later that day she disappeared.
3: Correct. It seems like that phone call from that u s postal inspector that I received really was the starting point of how everything evolved over that weekend. Um, and as I shared, you know in details in our last podcast that You know, by the time that I got back to the house in Galena, knowing that I could not make contact with my mom on her phone um, via text or a phone call, I knew, I knew in my gut that something bad had happened to her because with even the severity of how bad the situation could be, I know that my mom would not leave myself, my family, or even her dog. For an unknown period of time without making some communication to any of us. Um, And also, you know, a few other details too that I had shared in the last podcast, knowing that she had plans with her close neighbor and friend, and that changed after this phone call that we still didn't know more details on at that point in time. But clearly, there was something that drove her away from the home at that period. So, Really, August 7th was the day everything kind of fell into place as far as, you know, what unfolded then over the weekend.
0: So Kelly, for our listeners, uh, your mom's body and vehicle were located on August 9th, 2020. Your mom's body was found near Canton, Missouri, and that was approximately 50 miles from the location of her vehicle that was abandoned on a boat ramp. So I know, I want to get into the day your mother's body was found. Uh, we interviewed this past week, Gary and Kathy Randolph, and they agreed to be interviewed and share with us what they observed and saw when they found your mom's body.
3: Yeah, August ninth was the day that my life changed forever. I think, you know, that weekend between August 7th to August 9th, my family still had this hope that, would be found safe i think though deep down i can i can share that i knew that if she wasn't home that night that something was wrong like she had been harmed in some way Um, but we remained hopeful and throughout that weekend we had you know family member law enforcement out searching Um, myself and my aunt stayed at the house as being home base really when we decided to tear the house apart and try uncovering anything that we could that could potentially lead to clues. Because at that point in time, knowing that there was some monetary loss, not knowing the magnitude of that, our main goal was to bring my mom home safe. And so we were just trying to find any clues at the home that could potentially lead to us finding a clue of where she could be. Um, Throughout that weekend, there was a lot of leads that came in um, that seemed hopeful, but weren't successful. You also had a different component to obviously, this was on the news, it was on social media. So you also have the web sleuths out there um, that start, you know, proposing, you know, certain situations and outcomes, all these hypotheticals. And so it became challenging. That weekend was extremely, extremely challenging, knowing that, I did not have any contact with my mom, and we had one ultimate goal, and that was to bring her home safe. On August 9th, we still had no answers, and we were going into another evening, potentially, where my mom was not home. And we did not know the situation, and there was this factor of my own safety or even the house, we did have law enforcement that would stop by the house frequently there was always family members at the house during this period it was in the evening i remember i tried going to sleep um, and i remember I, i had actually shut my eyes and i felt like i was asleep for hours and it had only been probably 30 or 40 minutes when my phone had rang and i always kept my phone right next to my head on the pillow and it was one of the local joe Davies county's investigators and they just said kelly Uh, We wanted to stop at the house and see you this evening, and we'll be there in about two to three minutes. And my heart sank. My heart sank in that moment because I knew it was bad. The fact that they were already a few minutes from our house. Um, I went and woke my uncle up and shared it with him, and I was already breaking down at that point in time because I knew it wasn't good, and it was nighttime as well. So, the investigators came in the house and we sat down at the dining room table. And we had called my aunt and a few other family members to be on the phone. Um, and actually, I believe we waited for a few family members to show up before we went into the details that they were about to share. Um.
0: And Kelly, I, I could tell you both Mike and I, being prior law enforcement, that those are some of the most difficult messages that and difficult jobs that we have to do in law enforcement is make notification that somebody has passed. So, um, like I said, I you know feel like I'm in the room with you when uh, on that day that when it happened, and like I said, it brings up a lot of emotion. I know for you and and for us uh, to have to tell somebody that somebody has passed.
3: Yeah, it it was something where I tell immediately when I opened the door and saw uh, the police officers investigators there that I could see it on their face too that it was a horrendous situation Uh, Mm -hmm. but I was not prepared I wasn't prepared for any of that but I also just wasn't prepared for what they were about to share with us and the details that they were about to share with us
2: Hmm. yeah Kelly I know it's hard but is it possible that you could just share what
3: what the officers told you So they shared that my mother's body was found in Canton, Missouri, in the Mississippi River. And her vehicle was found about 20 miles north in Warsaw, Illinois. And when they had shared that with me, I remember looking at my family members going, I have no idea where that is. Absolutely no idea. And nobody in my family did either. It's completely unfamiliar to us. We had to look it up, actually, to figure out where it was. And it's about four hours south of where Galena, Illinois is. And like I said, we have no connection to that area.
0: Yeah, and Kelly, I think that's an important point for our listeners to, to hear, too, is that nobody in your family, your mother, had no connection to that area where the vehicle was found.
3: Absolutely not. No, like I said, it was, it was a foreign location, both locations of where she was found and the vehicle to anyone in our, in our family. So that was, that for me validated that there was foul play or harm done in this entire thing, because why would my mother just drive for hours? And, you know, it, it just made no sense. And so They had shared a few other details um, that she was found in the river, which would have been in the later afternoon on August 9th, um, but they could not make a positive identification of her body at that point in time. And so while the officers were actually here telling us and sharing details with us, I had to give a DNA sample and provide some other information. And um, with, the DNA sample along with dental records, they were then able to make a positive identification of her body. But until they had that information, that was not released to the public via media until I believe then the following day or evening um, from the information that we had found out.
2: Kelly, you mentioned that your mother's body was found in the river by uh, Gary and Canthy Randolph. Can you tell us about them uh, finding your mother's body and I know you spoke to them. What were they doing on the river and what did they observe?
3: So I was not contacted by Gary and Kathy immediately. It was actually the weeks following August 9th of when my mother's body was recovered that I received a Facebook message from an individual that claimed to be a family member of Gary and Kathy. And during this time, um, I had mentioned previously, web flus, people I didn't know, it became a lot of who was reaching out and contacting me and all the speculation that was going on. And so I received this message saying, I'm a family member of the couple that found your mom on the river, and they're trying to get a hold of you. And I think you need to listen to what they have to say, because it's not being reported of everything that they found. And I didn't know if it was real or not. And this was actually the same day as my mother's funeral and memorial service that evening. So I had to um, do a little investigating myself to figure out who Gary and Kathy really were. And once I did, I connected with them. And I knew immediately that they were a credible couple and everything that they said was genuine. And they absolutely cared. And not only was I traumatized my entire family from this situation, but they were as well. They were the couple that found my mother dead on the river. And so their tradition was to go out fishing um, on, you know, weekends or Sunday evenings. And they are from the Canton, Missouri area. So very familiar with the river. And um, like I said, frequent it um, every weekend. That is their, their tradition as a couple. And they were out on the river. And Gary and Kathy noticed something floating in the water. And it looked like a body, and they approached it, and it was a female body. But what they had shared with me is that this body that they found and actually called 911 on was not my mother's body. There was another female body that they found first before finding my mother's. And hearing that, <laughs> I completely shocked me. Um, I think changed just even the heaviness of this entire situation to say how, you know, what more is involved in this entire thing? The fact that they found another female body along with my mother's that day on the river on August 9th.
2: And that's the first time you've heard of that?
3: And that was the first time that I ever heard of that. And that is why they were so adamant in trying to find me and to contact me directly because they knew that that was the one piece of information that just wasn't being shared or conveyed that they felt was extremely
0: important. And Kelly, um, you know, you introduced us to the Randolphs. And like I said, we interviewed them last week. And we have a a little clip here that we wanted to take from that segment in that conversation and where they describe finding first a single-body And then because of the circumstances on the river, they had to leave that body because it was headed towards uh, some of the dredging areas uh, that were ongoing. So they went downstream and began searching for the body again, and that's when they came across the body of your mother. So if we can, we'd like to play a quick clip of them, and I want our listeners to listen to the description of the body that was uh, first observed by the Randolphs.
4: But anyway, we drifted down to that and went down past it a little bit, down to where the Wyaconda River dumps into the Mississippi, and then turned around and started to come back. And I noticed something odd in the water. It was around 6 o'clock in the evening. So I motored over to it, and it was a woman, a light brown-haired woman floating face down. She had what I thought was a swim, two-piece swimsuit on, and it had like a floral pattern on it. And uh, her hair was short, but in a ponytail. And I could not see what her bottoms were. They were too far in the water. But as soon as I found her, I mean, I was just like, I could have reached down and touched her at one right. time. And my wife was there. She's seen it too. But all this time, we are drifting down towards that dredging equipment. And uh, so I immediately called 911 and talk to whoever it was but while this is while I'm explaining what's going on we're getting closer to the dredging stuff and finally I I had to make a decision grab the body or let it go underneath the stuff
0: the piping
4: and stuff and I let it go and I told my wife we'll just go down river and get ahead of her and and when she comes out which it wasn't nothing that would have tore her up or anything it was just going under some floating pipes. She went, went through any of the dredging equipment or none of that. And we her down and waited, was started to come back up towards that stuff and found the other body, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Cow. And when I first seen her, I thought it was a male. The body was very It looked like there was a bottom. Yeah. Man, and she had like it looked like black yeah. shorts on. Mm-hmm. And I did not see a top on her, and I just assumed it was a man because her hair was pretty short and face down. And, uh, you know, I just thought, well, it's a man and a woman, and something happened to them.
0: Kelly, I know that is probably difficult to hear on how they saw a first body and then came across your mother's, but the description that they gave of the first body, is that anywhere consistent with how your mother looks?
3: The first body, no, but the second body, yes.
0: And for our listeners, um, the Randos were able to actually stay with the body until uh, recovery efforts were made. So, and that's uh, they eventually identified your your mom as that second person. So, hey Kelly, I got to ask you: Did law
2: enforcement ever recover a second body from the river after finding your mother's?
3: No, they never did, and at the time that my mother's body was recovered, I was completely unaware that there even was a second body that the Randolphs found until Randolph, a few weeks later had contacted me. And in their report and what they had shared then after that fact was that they did try to look for a second body, but never found a second body.
0: And then Kelly, um, with the interview and the Randolphs also, uh, we spoke to them, they called 911, they stayed on the phone throughout the entire incident where they found the first body and then found the second body. So their story's always been consistent throughout um, that there were two bodies in the water.
3: Correct. The very first body that they found, which was not my mother's, but another woman, which Gary had shared during his interview, very specific um, of her appearance, of what they could tell. That was the body that they called 911 on, and it was because of this dredging project in that area that their own safety came into question, too. So they made the decision, and I I can't even fathom and imagine what they were trying to process, too, in that time of what they should do and what you do in that situation. But for their safety, too, they went around that piping and dredging area, assuming that body would come up. When they got around that area that's when they found the second body which was my mother's and you know if they never went around that piping or dredging area there's the huge probability that they never would have even found my mom
2: right kelly i gotta ask you know your opinion do you believe that if there was a second body does this indicate that your mother did not commit suicide
3: i believe my mother did not commit suicide and i am no forensic expert or You know, any background in in investigative work, but it makes sense to me that if you have two bodies in a very close proximity that are in the same state in the water, that there has to be some link and tie to both of their deaths.
2: And also, Kelly, you know, we talked previously about your mother's dog and how much your mom loved her dog. So to go with that, I mean... Does that bother you about the theory that your mother committed suicide by drowning in the river?
3: Absolutely, it does. And I don't believe that my mother did that. Nobody that knows my mom um, has had any relationship with her believes that. And given the circumstances of where her body was found, the vehicle, um, the lack of communication, some other things that had happened throughout that weekend and other details, No, I I do not believe that she she committed suicide one bit. Mm.
0: So, Kelly, we have another portion of that interview with the Randolphs. And again, I think this is so important for them to understand how close they were to both of these bodies and the description. So with that, uh, we're going to play another clip from our interview from last week with the Randolphs.
4: At one point, my boat was right beside her. I could have reached down and grabbed her with my hand. That's how close I was. And like I said before, she had light brown hair. It was in a ponytail. And she had a two-piece, what I could tell, the two-piece bathing suit. It collapsed, yeah, in the back. And it just looked like bathing wear. Looked like It had a floral pattern on it. Small, okay. tiny, delicate floral pattern.
0: So I could tell you, Kelly, when Mike and I heard this segment you know, the descriptives, the details, how close they were to to both of the bodies, you know, and and eventually recovered the second body, which was your mom's. I think it's so important to understand that this wasn't at a distance, this wasn't far away, and the descriptions of the first body and your mother are completely different. Uh, Have you heard any explanation from law enforcement as to the possibility of two bodies?
3: No. um, Outside of what Randolph you know, have shared, um, obviously, in the interview there and what they've shared with me, there were numerous times, too, that we spoke after they shared that initially. And then I even went down to meet with them, went down to the area that my mom's car was found, where her body was found. Um, But no, after that day, there was no continued search um, for this other body, the first body that Gary and Kathy had found, which knowing how specific and detailed that they were, and it just wasn't Gary, it was Gary and Kathy together. So you had two witnesses. And knowing how close that first body was to my mom's, I 100% wholeheartedly believe that they're telling the truth. I don't know why anyone would ever make that up. and I believe that they are linked together. And so it's just been, I will say it has been extremely challenging for me um, and my family and anybody that knows this detail, um, because this is, you know, a big piece of this story that a lot of people haven't known up until this point of sharing this on the podcast about the second body, this other body that was found that day. And unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, in any investigation is, You need evidence to continue forward. So without that other body, it's been challenging. And I think, you know, even for Gary and Kathy, too, they know what they saw that day. And they know there was a second body very close to my mom's. And there's been no follow-up after that day on it.
2: Kelly, let me go a step further on this. Was there ever a suicide note found in the house, your mom's house, or found in her car, or where her belongings were found by the boat ramp?
3: So there was no, I would say, suicide note um, that was found immediately. But on Saturday, so this is now over 24 hours since my mom had been missing, and my aunt and I were going through the house and going through the financial records um, that my mom had kept, Um, we did find a note, a handwritten note that my mom had wrote to me. And I initially thought it was a suicide note because my aunt found it first, and I I was (laughs) freaking out, upset. And my aunt read it first before she gave it to me, and she goes, read this. She goes, this is not a suicide note. And without reading the entire note, one of the key lines that my mom wrote on this letter said, you know, I have tried to get out of this many times. This involves the guy I met online, Frank. I've tried getting out of this many times, but I knew I would end up dead. And she proceeded then to leave me emails and passwords of accounts to get into, which would share some of the financial information of everything. And so for me, knowing my mom very well and how she writes, um, how she, my mom always dates everything um, this was a note that was tucked away. It was almost like this just in case note that I believe my mom wrote previously at a much earlier date that if something happened to her, cause she was scared for her life. She said she knew she would end up dead, that I would at least have this note and letter with some information that would maybe lead to some answers. Because I firmly believe that if my mom were to commit suicide, there would have been a note on the counter. There would It just doesn't make sense for for that to be the outcome of this. But that note for me to, it was very heavy for me to read that, knowing how scared my mom was for the situation she was involved in. Was there
2: a date on that note that she left? Just curious.
3: There was no date on that note. And it was not written in a fashion, too, that was very quick. Like she wrote it that day and hid it somewhere. It definitely was written more methodically at an earlier date knowing her handwriting so well.
0: And Kelly, was it found in a place, like was it left on a table where somebody would easily find it or did you find it somewhere else?
3: No, it was almost hidden. Um, I found it tucked away amongst um, some other things in her desk, um, along with some other documentation. So it was not in any visible place. I had to really go looking for it. And like I said, at that point in time that weekend, my aunt and I committed to staying at the house at our home base with the investigation going on and taking the time to go through everything to hopefully lead to some answers and finding her and bringing her home safe.
0: So, Kelly, with the note, um, you know, the fact that it wasn't left out for somebody to easily find, you know, typically person that commits suicide writes a letter. If they do, it's left in a place where somebody will easily find it so they understand why that person did what they did. But, you know, the other thing that bothers me and Mike is is the dog. And, and she had such an affection and love for that dog. And the manner, uh, if we were to speculate the manner of death was suicide by drowning, then you know, there was a very good chance that dog would not be found for days or weeks. And, you know, do you think that is an indicator that your mother wasn't committing suicide?
3: Absolutely. And for me, my key factor on August 7th, when I came to Galena and came to the house, Effie, our golden doodle, our therapy dog, she was home. And so for me, I'm like, okay, mom is going to be home because she would never leave her. And actually in those days um, that she had disappeared and we still did not know where she was at. The number of family members, people that had a small relationship with my mom just knew of her, were calling, saying, Was Effie home? Was Effie home? Because that in everyone's mind, they're going, Laura would never have left that dog. My mom never would have left that dog. And everyone that knew her knew that. And so for me, that was a key, a key indicator. And the other thing that I will say too, just personally in the relationship that I have with my mom, and I understand too suicide is an extremely difficult topic to talk about. And if that were the outcome, that's not something that I would be embarrassed or ashamed to talk about or say. It would I would at least have some closure. A family would have closure. But given the circumstances and the details of everything between August 7th and August 9th. I do not believe that my mom committed suicide. And furthermore, I don't believe that my mom, if she were to commit suicide, would commit it in a way where her body could never be found. The Mississippi River is so vast and so broad that if it was not for Gary and Kathy Randolph, the chances that her body could have not been recovered is extremely high, and I could still be sitting here two and a half years later without knowing where my mom was. And I know that my mom would never leave me in a position of not having closure on that. So for a multitude of reasons, I know that my mom did not commit suicide.
0: So Kelly, uh, what was the manner of death according to the medical examiner?
3: According to the medical examiner, the cause of death was asphyxiation by drowning.
0: Okay. So there was no classification of suicide or anything. It's just that your mother's death was caused by the basically inhalation of water into her lungs. Correct.
2: Well, Kelly, do you know uh, if there was any injuries to your mom's body? And if so, like, was there an explanation by the coroner as to those injuries?
3: No, there was nothing that was claimed on the report that they did but. I do have my own opinion of how the autopsy was conducted, also the delay in obtaining some of that information. So in my opinion, there's really two pieces or parts of this investigation going on between August 7th and August 9th, and you have this unfolding financial fraud, crime scamming, romance scamming that is now being looked at and investigated by the U.S. postal inspectors, and they are now getting involved. But then you also have more of the the boots-on-the-ground investigation of Laura Kowal's disappearance and now death being found in the Mississippi River. I think the link between the financial investigation and then also the Boots on the ground, disappearance, investigation, and death of my mother, there lacked a link between the two. And therefore, it caused a hindrance in how her autopsy and investigating her death was performed. And I do believe that an example of that is even how Gary and Kathy Randolph's description of this other body and all of the information that they brought forth with that was, in my opinion, overlooked even though I believe there is a strong link with all of this. So going back to her autopsy and some issues on that that I found, my family found, you know, a lack of timeliness in those communications and and how things were performed. Yes, I have, I have strong feelings and questions on all of that. And I do believe that because there was almost this separation of the two cases. And also I think the other important piece to point out to listeners is that You had three jurisdictions involved in this investigation. You had Joe Davies County up in the Galena, Illinois area. You had Hancock County, Illinois, which is near Warsaw, Illinois, which is where her car was found. And then you have the state of Missouri, which is Lewis County, Missouri. So you now have three different jurisdictions in this investigation, all working independently, but trying to communicate together, but they all have limitations of where they can work and who's investigating what. So it's messy, there's no doubt that this is messy, but I never felt like there was a cohesive approach from, like I said, the entire scope of this from the financial side of everything, and then also the disappearance and death and how those two could be so heavily linked together.
2: Kelly, I I hear what you're saying. I know, like you said, different jurisdictions, sometimes it's tough, not only different counties, but state, local and federal investigation that's going on. I'm sure there's a lot that law enforcement is doing on this case that you're probably not aware of they weren't able to tell you or have not told you since it's an ongoing investigation. But I, I did want to ask you if I could go back, was your mom's personal cell phone, was that ever recovered?
3: Her personal cell phone was recovered, yes, and they found that in the vehicle near the river.
0: So, Kelly, I know law enforcement uh, took a look at your mom's cell phone and cell phone records, and I want to bring our listeners back to that day when she disappeared. A neighbor heard her talking uh, loudly on the phone outside the house uh, in the driveway. And did law enforcement take a look at her cell phone, her personal cell phone, and see any type of incoming or outgoing call going to that phone around that time?
3: So they were able to recover her personal cell phone, which they found in her vehicle when it was recovered on August 9th in Warsaw, Illinois. That phone, though, did not have any calls going to an unknown number or a call or number that we had familiarity with or that we were able to cross check of who she had called because obviously her and i had talked earlier in that day so we know that she did not use that cell phone to make that phone call but kathy her neighbor, had overheard we have reason to believe though that second cell phone some would call a burner phone would be involved in this entire thing Um, based off of evidence that we found in the home from a box for another phone. That other phone that she would have made this call on on August 7th that led her away from the home has not been found or recovered.
2: Kelly, I've been been thinking about this because you mentioned this before. Not only was your mom on the phone, but your neighbor next door heard your mom having a loud conversation on the phone with somebody in the driveway The day she disappeared, shortly before she disappeared that day. Right. And you had conversation with the neighbor, right?
3: Right. So she was within minutes of meeting her neighbor to go to lunch, and her neighbor is going to pull into our driveway to pick her up and go to lunch together. And this neighbor overheard her say, well, I'm supposed to be meeting my neighbor, Kathy, for lunch. In my opinion, whoever this is does not know of her neighbor, where if it was somebody that was close to my mom, our family, would know who this neighbor was. So my mom wouldn't need to say, I'm supposed to be meeting my neighbor Kathy for lunch. So to me, it's also somebody that, you know, isn't close in our inner circle of family and friends. And it was then after Kathy had heard this message that within a few minutes, she received a text from my mom, which would have been on my mom's personal phone, that just said, Kathy, I'm sorry, that I'm not going to be able to go to lunch. And I know that it threw Kathy off because they had spent the morning gardening together, all this. And she was within a minute of going to pick my mom up. So something in that instant changed.
2: And like you mentioned, she loved her dog and she
3: leaves leaving the oh, dog at home. The dog, the neighbor. I mean, my mom would not just cancel on plans like that. She just wouldn't. And it was very evident, too, that even in the days coming and, and plans, I remember even coming home on August 7th, and my mom had all this cement and stuff out in front of the garage. And I remember asking the neighbor, Kathy, I'm like, what, what is going on? What was she planning to do? And she's like, oh, she was going to host a, a cement bird bath workshop on the driveway for everyone. And she had all these plans lined up, even for, you know, like the upcoming weekend and the week uh, following. So it just it wasn't my mom's normal behavior to do that. It just wasn't at all.
2: Hey, Kelly, I wanted to move on and ask you about the $1.5 million actually stolen from your mom. Are you aware of anybody being charged with their involvement in this online scheme that targeted your mother?
3: So, What I can share is that there is an ongoing investigation with the U.S. Postal Inspectors um, regarding that piece of the case. And because it is ongoing, that's all that I can share at this time. But what I can share and what I learned from the investigation with the U.S. Postal Inspectors on the financial side um, of the $1.5 million is that all of that, almost the majority of it, ended up in China. And what I have been told is that China does not cooperate in helping the United States with investigations, and therefore we have not recovered or recouped any of that money that was stolen from my mom.
0: And Kelly, too, is, and I know you can't go into details, but the money, you know, definitely, it seems like it went overseas. Is there any indication that there might be actors within the United States involved in this?
3: Yes. And that I can share is that, yes, actors, part of this scam located here in the United States um, that would be involved. Yes, that is correct.
2: Hey, Kelly, one more question regarding the $1.5 that was stolen from your mom. Was there a time frame of where she sent that money? I mean, was there? You know, was it over a six month period? And the other part of that question I have is, was it sent all at once, or was it certain amounts, certain period of time? How, how did that happen?
3: Yeah. So it, it originally started with the guy that my mom met online, the scammer, basically claiming that he worked for a investment firm over in the UK. And so initially, my mom was going to make an investment with him for it was $75,000. And I saw the initial communications on that, and it was very clear in my mom's verbiage in those emails that she, you know, fully intended that this was a, you know, professional type transaction, but she was doing it knowing that her boyfriend, you know, guy she had met online in a relationship with that it was with his company. So I think she felt security in in doing that. It then I would say in the in the months following is when all of the other transactions started and they were in large amounts of $75,000 plus because all of this the scamming was fronted as uh, financial transactions. So there were smaller amounts here and there that we uncovered, but the majority of the money was lost um, in scamming by the fronting of this investment firm.
0: And Kelly, were, were these all in a specific type of transaction? Was it a wire transaction to the suspect?
3: The largest amounts uh, that were scammed were done via wire transfers.
0: Okay. And there were smaller uh, other transfers. How are they done?
3: Yeah, as my aunt and I, over the course of the August 7th weekend, had covered some gift cards, um, which is common, um, you know, that I have learned to in, in my time um, being involved in all of this and the education of financial romance scamming. So we found some gift cards, airline tickets, some things of those natures online Transactions that were sent. But other than that, I would say the majority of my mom's savings, it was done via wire transfers.
2: Kelly, uh, just to follow up to the wire transfers, when did you become aware of them? Was it after your mom disappeared, or were you kind of an idea something was going on with these wire transfers prior to your mom disappearing?
3: Well, if you remember, uh, in our episode of the podcast, I had shared about a specific event where I had questioned her on a large amount of money that had been moved from an account that I had visibility on. And I did not know that that was of, you know, a fraudulent scam at that point in time, but I certainly had concerns. I had red flags about it and confronted her about it. And she told me at the time that she was moving money for an investment, which she was, she was under that impression that she was doing that. And knowing. You know, my mother's savviness and incompetence, like I I assumed that she knew what she was doing. But when I saw actual these transactions after she disappeared over the course of that week when my aunt and I were going through all these records, it all came together for me that that's what was occurring. So that's when I figured out that, you know, all of this was fraudulent.
0: Kelly, thank you for sharing all this. And like I said, we're going to move on to a a different part and we want to talk about the work that you're doing since your mother's body was discovered and what you're doing to bring about education and awareness to the public. But there's one last clip that we have to play from the Randolphs. I really, if there's anybody out there that is questioning, you know, is this a murder? Is this a suicide? Is it one body or two body? I just have to play this one clip because it, it just explains how strongly the Randolphs feel about what they saw on that day. On a scale of one to 10, how sure are you that what you saw was two different bodies? 12. All right. No, that answers it right there. I think it's
4: just going to take one person to talk and and they can clear it all up.
0: And again, this is something for our listeners. Like I said, we don't have all the answers here. Um, The law enforcement is conducting ongoing investigations and obviously they need proof and evidence to say that this is a crime. So if there are people out there listening to this podcast that know about this crime, have any information about it, we ask you to call the Joe Davies Police Department and provide that information to them. So Kelly, can you explain to our our audience why you were sharing this story with us uh, several years later? Yeah,
3: absolutely. I think it's important to note too that it's taken me this long to get to a place to openly share and talk about these intimate details of it because I went through a lot of recovery and a lot of work that I had to do through trauma therapy um, to even get to this place, but I feel like I am ready and my hope is that I can share the facts that I know and what I've learned to help drive awareness towards this issue and provide support to victims and families of victims and really educate on what I think people can do to prevent falling victim to this crime.
2: Well, Kelly, then can I ask you from what you've learned, what, what are some of the warning signs you observed and would like to share with our audience? Sure.
3: You know, from my mom's, experience um, and being a daughter of a victim, a few things that I'll point out, I would say first is just an online relationship. And and looking back now, what I know now, I wish I would have educated my mother on. So anybody that has a loved one that is wanting to pursue an online relationship, I would make sure that you have those conversations with them about the potentials and, and who they're actually meeting online. One of the first warning signs would be if they want to get off of the website or the app right away to a different form of communication. Um, That would be, you know, one warning sign. Another thing would be is if they are overseas and they are constantly traveling back and forth between the United States and you never get to meet them in person. I think that is probably one of the largest red flags as well. I would also say if your loved one, has different patterns of communication um, with this person that they've met online. One of the things with my mom, because this guy, the scammer, was overseas. She was on the phone late in the evenings um, in times, too, where, where she became then very removed from me or our family to talk with him. And so I do think that these scammers, they are masterminds at manipulating their victims to become withdrawn from people that may question what is going on. And so I would say any withdrawn behavior as well. Um, and then obviously if you notice any monetary transactions that don't seem correct or kosher, that um, that would be another, another warning sign. But ultimately what I will say is that as a family member of a victim that, or a loved one that is involved in an online dating relationship, that if you have a gut feeling that something isn't right, you have those feelings for a reason. And you may not be able to pinpoint what it is, but I will tell you that you have those feelings for a reason that something is not right or that something is off. And so I would trust that. But I think the biggest advice that I can give then is when you approach your loved one, is you have to come at it from an approach of empathy and love and respect because you have to remember that your loved one is a victim. And I think it's very easy to get caught up in the emotions of, well, gosh, how stupid could they be to do that? Wouldn't they know? And start questioning like that. But they truly are a victim of a criminal. And if you can approach them in a more empathetic way to communicate with them, provide the help and resources that are out there. I, I really hope that we can help more people from falling victim to these horrendous crimes.
2: And Kelly, that, that is so true. Thank you very much. And I, I just got to mention one more thing that kind of sticks out to me. just from a prior conversation with you. And you mentioned that your mom began distancing her, herself from you and you mentioned, you know, to her, is Frank telling you to say that because you don't even sound like my mom and it's true Frank is telling her to say that. He's telling your mom that your daughter just wants all the money or your daughter doesn't want to see you happy. And that's what happens. These fraudsters convince the victim that your family, you know, is out to get you, you know, don't listen to them. And that is so true. That's another red flag that you brought up.
3: Yeah. And that was, you know, for me, a a warning sign or a red flag. And that's Where I would say our relationship became more tense was during that time, but she definitely went through periods where, like you said, I I would just tell her, I'd be like, Mom, you don't sound like yourself. Is he telling you to say that? Because you do not sound like the Laura Kowal mother that I know every single day. But now, knowing what I do know, I know that she was under the influence of a criminal.
0: So Kelly, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast uh, these last two episodes and sharing your story about your mom and the crime that was committed against her and trying to understand her unexplained death. so and also, I'm happy to announce that Kelly is going to be coming down to Tampa, Florida in August uh, at our international conference where she is going to be uh, training more than a thousand law enforcement fraud investigators, bank investigators of some of these warning signs, some of the tips and things that she saw that hopefully can prevent others from becoming a victim. So Kelly, thank you so much for being on the show and let's get some answers for you and your family to those uh, questions that are being asked.
3: Thank you both for the opportunity.
0: Kelly, I just wanted to say you are a very
2: brave person to come forward and ask these questions and also to try and educate the public and how important it is to have conversations with family and friends about these
0: types of online scams, so thank
2: you.
3: Mike and Mark, thank you both for the opportunity.
0: Wow, well, Mike, that was uh, an incredible uh, story that Kelly shared with us about her mom, just two incredible people, uh, her mom and Kelly. And like I said, very tragic that she was targeted by fraudsters. And then there's so many questions about her death uh, that are just, we can't explain at this point. So, I don't know, Mike, uh, any final thoughts on on this uh, episode? You know, Mark, I'm, I'm thinking back when we first started the
2: podcast. We met with Modify Media and what was our goal for doing these podcasts. And one of them was training and education for are members of the IFCI, but the other one is to provide something to the public. And this is a perfect example. Uh, listening to Kelly to tell this story about her mom and what happened, and how she's going forward to help other people. That is the purpose of this podcast. This is why we do it. And, and having her on and the bravery is awesome. And uh, I'm so glad to be part of this podcast, be part of the IFCI and uh, what a great story, and I, I hope the best for her. We know she's pregnant and married, and I wish her the best of luck in the future with her family, and I'm looking forward to talking to her again. I'm looking forward to seeing her down in Tampa. Yeah, yep.
0: It's gonna be great. I agree, and and like I said, uh, I think uh, what she's doing now, it's just the beginning of something even better. Uh, like I said, I know her story will touch millions of people, uh, if they hear it, and like I said, she is she's a warrior, and uh, again, we're very uh, blessed to have uh, been introduced to her and spend the last two episodes with her. So, hey, Mike, I want to mention too, our podcast is really going well. People are tuning in because this is a great place to come to learn about fraud, scams, and cyber crimes. And most importantly, pick up some of those red flags so you don't become a victim of these crimes. Like I said, things are taking off. We want to thank our audience for tuning in. I want to thank the IFCI for giving us the opportunity to share this information with the public. And again, we hope you keep telling your friends and families about this podcast because it's information everybody needs to know to protect themselves. Yeah, and if you are a financial crime investigator, law enforcement, we'd love to have you on board with the
2: IFCI. You could go to ifci.org, join our organization. We provide the best training and education, which includes the podcast. So thank you very much to all our listeners. We love you. Thank you for listening.
0: Hey, Mike, and where can our listeners go to subscribe to this podcast? I use Spotify. That's where I go. I use Apple. I got Google. I got Spotify. But we're on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe. You'll get alerted every time there's a new podcast episode out. And uh, we love to get support from our listeners by you subscribing. So thanks again. And I'm going to sign off. It's Mark Solomon from Connecticut.
2: This is Mike Carroll from Chicago. We'll see you again.
1: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guests' opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.